There's an important principle in the Dharma. that I'd like to touch on this morning. It's been at the heart of many of our practices, basically all of them, but hasn't been explicitly highlighted. An important principle that I'd like to reflect on that was uh, taught by the Buddha relates to karma and volitional activity and kama vipaka or the, the resultant karma when things happen as a result of what we've done acted upon, spoken in the past. This principle also is uh, significant in terms of uh, entering entering the path that's uh, conducive to the realization of Nibbana. A place where it's... uh, Described and uh, with a simile is useful. Tennessee and I like to reflect upon it. It's called the salt crystal. Simile of the salt crystal. Where to paraphrase the if the Buddha said, if if, uh, if karma is to it be experienced in the way it was done, then there would be no escape from suffering. For example, if you kick someone with ill will, then you have to be kicked. You uh, do a particular action that in that manner, it has the result has to come. The Buddha said there would be no escape because of this countless round of rebirths. We've all done so many countless things rooted in greed, hatred, and delusion. There'd just be no way to make it all up, to balance the books, so to speak. But the Buddha shifted it slightly. He said, but if, if karma is to be experienced in the way it was felt, then there is an escape. Meaning that if one's uh, unwholesome action or actions of body, speech, and mind were were done in a way to to generate pain, then the the karmic result has to involve some aspect of pain. He said, yes, in that sort of way there is an escape. Then he gave an example. He said, well... uh, Why is it the case that someone uh, doing a trifling, unskillful deed or evil deed, but trifling, a a small, unskillful deed, uh, finds themselves dragged to hell, you know, taken against their will to a very painful state? 
And another person who's done the same, trifling, unskillful deed. Um, experiences the result in the here and now and for the most part barely appears for a moment. And the Buddha uh, gave the example of the salt crystal. He said if you put a salt crystal or let's just say a lump of salt in a small amount of water, then, then would you be able to drink it? And his disciples said, well, it'd be very difficult to drink, very salty water. But he said, if you took that very same salt crystal or lump of salt and threw it into, at least in the old days, I'm assuming the river Ganges was quite pure, he said, if you threw it into the Ganges, then would you be able to drink the water? you would hardly be able to taste the salt at all. It would have been diluted. And he said, so it is with a, with a, a trifling, unskillful deed done by a... What sort of person then drags them to a really difficult state? He said, that person is undeveloped in body meaning undeveloped in contemplating body, undeveloped in virtue, undeveloped in mind, undeveloped in wisdom, restricted, small-hearted, dwelling with dukkha, dwelling with suffering. And what sort of person who does the trifling, unskillful deed is the result experienced in the here and now and barely lasts for a moment? Someone who's developed in contemplating body, developed in virtue, developed in mind, developed in wisdom, unrestricted. large-hearted, dwelling with the unlimited. When that sort of person does a trifling deed, unskillful deed, the result is experienced in the here and now, said the Buddha, and for the most part barely appears for a moment. This notion of the unlimited, unrestricted, being able to dissolve, dilute, help transmute karmic result. Very important principle. When we're in a state, a contracted state, where we take, remember from the Sharangama Sutra, taking a bubble to be the whole ocean. When we're in a contracted state, in a, a mood, a doubt, a worry, a despair, a, a resentment, is everything, it's the whole world, totally engrossed in it, 
a whole being contracted around that formation. And what does practice do? You know, as we start to practice and notice formations changing already, we're, uh, what notices change? There's a, there's a putting in perspective, space around the formation, noticing it change, and then starting to be aware, wow, this change is happening within this wider, measureless citta, awareness. Similarly, in contemplation of body through the anapanasati, sutta that we've been doing. Just being aware of the body. Aware of the body breathing and then noticing, widening the awareness. So the body then is being suspended in, enveloped by awareness. Training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body. Training ourselves to, to relax the body. That's a stepping back being obsessed by every little flicker, this, that, learning how to just calm, let go, moving to the measureless. Similarly with uh, learning to cultivate skill with feeling and mind, learning how to, whatever the conditions, cultivate contentment. That's a stepping back. When we're not content with the way it is right now, we're wrestling with this and wrestling with that, but as we recognize it's like this, noticing the content of the heart, practice relaxing with, being at ease with. In the Anapanasati Sutta, that was breathing in and out, experiencing sukha, ease. All of the tetrads of our practice move from the restricted to the unrestricted, from the limited to the unlimited. The jitta-sankara, the, the, the patterns that snag us, calming those is a stepping back, recognizing they're changing, unreliable, selfless, empty nature. One steps back, allows them to calm, not be perpetuated, Contemplating the heart. That means all this phenomenon experience that we can get engrossed with, the pleasure, averse to the pain, engrossed with the seeming successes, deflated and discouraged by the setbacks, the failures, excited by the encouragement or the praise or the recognition or Discouraged when it seems like we're not noticed or criticized. But in the process of cultivating wisdom, developing wisdom, realizing this swelling and subsiding, this cyclic nature of pleasure and pain, more dispassion sets in and then the citta is freed, training ourselves to be freed. from collapsing around, being contracted into, being identified with, attached with. At 
the last tetrad, same. Breathing in and out and then noticing change. This is a widening of perspective. To notice change. It takes a changeless background to recognize change. Noticing change then starts to break up the the spell. The spell of really, this is me, this is mine. The concretization, the atomization, the generation of all these particularities that are the real stuff. By noticing change, then when there's that beginning of the great return, starting to realize, wow, all this is happening in a wider field. One begins to notice the heart. And one of the great uh, ways of just cultivating this, the measureless, and ble- what's called blessings, is through the Brahma Viharas, through kindness, compassion. Remember, uh, I think it was yes, yesterday, yesterday morning, I talked about how the Buddha distinguished between penetrative wisdom, when we through our own effort, see into the true nature of conditions. Remember Vimuttisarasa Bedama. Every Dharma when when it touched with wisdom and realizing the changing empty nature, one then recognizes this Vimutti, this freedom, this limitless, boundless, measureless ground of the heart. Yielding deliverance as essence are all things. So that's penetrative wisdom when we penetrate into the nature, touching peace. The Buddha distinguished that with, within a, a flowering of that with what he called vast wisdom, vast great wisdom. When the wisdom is also combined with not thinking to harm self or others, but to benefit self and others out of compassion for the afflictions in the world, seeking their ease and happiness. Now we're looking at the, the, notice this movement to the measureless. This is the essence of the bodhisattva. And it's a natural, natural continuation. It's not like this big, It's a natural expression. Master Xunhua, a wonderful Chinese master, talked how the, the classic bodhisattva vows, remember the essence of the bodhisattva? Bodhi means awake, sattva being. But awake being committed to the awakening of all beings. Master Hua pointed out that the classic bodhisattva vows are four in number. The essence of all the bodhisattvas, if you boil it down, there's four. And those four emerge out of the Four Noble Truths. We remember the first Noble Truth is there is dukkha. 
it needs to be understood. Second truth, there is an origin of dukkha. What gives rise to dukkha? We know the grasping, the aversion, etc. And the Buddha taught that that origin of dukkha needs to be abandoned, let go of, cut through, severed, emptied. Third truth, there is a cessation of suffering. Suffering is not an eternal condition. It has its causes, and that when they're abandoned, there is a cessation. The cessation of suffering, said the Buddha, needs to be experienced, realized, known. All these truths, they're dynamic. They, they're, they're, there's an action, an exhortation, a practice associated with them. In the fourth truth, there's a path to the ending of suffering, <coughs> which should be cultivated. That's this practice path. Now, as that ripens, so we really start to see the changing nature and all this suffering, and then, you know, starts diminishing, then we realize the so-called me is also just a, an illusion. It's just dukkha. Whose is it? It's dukkha. So when the first truth becomes measureless, it's that living beings are countless. I vow to liberate them all. So in other words, not just suffering here, wherever suffering is. Afflictions are inexhaustible. These are the causes of suffering. Afflictions are inexhaustible. I vow to cut through them all. So whether it's in here, out there, it's, what is it? It's a cause of suffering. It's an affliction. It's going to the, it's not saying, what is that? My suffering or your suffering or I don't mind that suffering. Remember the salt crystal principle? Restricted or large-hearted? The small cup is restricted. Well, A restricted cup is only concerned about me, mine, this, that. It's wider when there's concern of, hey, what is this impact on others? How can I help others, serve others? That's a widening. So first, Bodhisattva vow... Living beings are countless, I vow to liberate them all. Afflictions are inexhaustible, I vow to cut through them all. And then the third great bodhisattva vow is is from the fourth truth. Its dharma doors are innumerable. So there's different sorts of practices. It's called a dharma door. Some, we meal, at different times we feel an affinity with maybe the Anapanasati or the metta. Or the mindfulness practice, or the um, recitation practice, what's called pure land practice. Those are all different Dharma doors. 
So that third great bodhisattva vow is dharma doors are innumerable. I vow to cultivate them all. Notice this is a widening, a being interested in. Okay, we, don't, we can't do them all at the same instant. But it's an open, wide open path. And then the third truth, which is about the cessation of suffering, becomes the fourth great bodhisattva vow. It's the Buddha path is unsurpassed. I vow to realize it. Buddha path is talking about not just knowing peace, the awakening of peace, but balancing form and emptiness, understanding conditions, then being able to teach and understand and transform all the many kinds of beings. That's why we've had the extraordinary opportunity to encounter the teachings of the Buddha, because he he didn't just know one path, he was able to offer a whole set range of skillful means to meet the needs of living beings in all our diverse circumstances. In the, what's called the Great Vehicle, there was a conscious talking about cultivating wisdom and cultivating blessings. In our Theravada monastic life, it wasn't called that, but the principle was that we did all our practices, but we did things that just had cultivated this spacious blessings to help dissolve karmic obstruction. That was one of the results. That wasn't just the only reason we did it. We also did it because it's enjoyable. For example, the uh, recitation, the puja, honoring what is worthy of honor. That's one of the amazing ways of of, uh, widening the abiding. When we're lost, check out sometimes when we're really lost in the state. Contracted in a worry, a doubt. And then, Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arato Samasambuddhasa, homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. We're doing a chant where this little self, or what, even we don't have to pretend we might still be caught up in a worry, but we're plugging into, connecting to the measureless, the Buddha, the awakened one. There's no wall there. That is measureless. The Dharma's measureless. Sangha's measureless. We, we do that, or do a chant. Titipiso pagawa arahang samma sambuddho vija charana sampano. And just the very activity of the chant composes us. The ancient sacred syllables resonate through the body that help deepen the samadhi. The fact that we're remembering and aligning with the qualities of the Blessed One, the Great Teacher, the Auspicious One, the One who is at ease and happy, the Timeless Dharma. Notice how one, the Buddha taught, 
pujacha pujaniyanangetta manglamuttamang, that when you honor what is worthy, there's a blessing. Countless times that I've done that and then notice, whoa, I feel different. Because one's taken that kamavipaka, that resultant tendency to get contracted around a worry, a doubt, a mood, and, and, and plunged, offered that formation into, the, into this wide purity body of a transformative uh, water of, of the refuge. Generosity, the same way. If we're practicing sometimes trying to get somewhere, oh, golly, I don't got much time left. I gotta, and you know, that person is, in, I'm not, I'm not going to sit near that person. I'm going to just, because they're disturbing my Nibbana track. And then trying to get somewhere and feeling upset because this is in my stumbling block. Good God. Stumbling block. What if? What if one's practice is an offering? And what if the stumbling block, which our teacher said is a teacher, what if we contemplated, wow, how many beings are suffering right now from worry and fear and anxiety? What if I dedicate my practice at any moment I can be with this, this mood, this formation. May it help everyone who's undergoing this. As I get perspective, as I cultivate patience, may that help everyone. So you're taking your activity and placing it as it actually is, because we are in a wide expanse. Wow, it can make such a difference. What's a difference when it's not just waste of time when I'm trying to get to the top? This this moment of being with what's not easy to be with is significant. And the Brahma Viharas, the measureless, same way. I be well with this. Whatever it is we're contracted around, there's a widening that's able to encompass all of our experience. May all of our experience be may the relationship with it, the guide, the inclination be not fighting, not harming. Breathing with that. And then learning to extend that. Others be well. May all be well. Relaxing. Whatever it is, even a big... This practice is ridiculous. I don't know where he got that idea. That Let the spiky... This practice is ridiculous. That's a, a being. A being of the heart. 
that can be touched by not fighting. May that be well. May it be at ease. We start to then notice like dust dancing. We let the dust that's dancing be honored rather than there shouldn't be any dust. Shouldn't be any thoughts. Shouldn't be any sensations. I want true stillness. True emptiness isn't empty, remember. When we allow what manifests in the empty to be what it is, when there's no clinging, no reification, no grasping and rejection, then it becomes wonderful existence. It becomes mysterious and miraculous. In a moment, even when we think, oh, it's all right, but it's not really what I wanted. That stay, moment of patience, moment of noticing how it is. Not even remembering that even just not killing, not stealing, not acting on an exploitative sexual sexuality to exploit someone. We're in noble silence, not, not harming someone with speech or harming ourselves, not getting intoxicated, even just that. It's a great gift. So in a moment, just check what happens if in this moment may the blessings of my life, and whether we want to accept it or not, my, what I see is that we all have incredible blessings just to be here, just to have recognized there's something significant in the Buddhist teachings, just to have the capacity just to even get ourselves so that we can do this. That if in a moment we have the thought, may the blessings of my life be shared. I feel the joy of that. Because we, we are light beings. When we do that, when we relax, our light naturally shines. There's a light when we do that. Above, below, and all around. May the goodness, the blessings of my life be shared. Oh, money, put me All beings. Feel what it does to the energy body. So this principle, the relationship between the restricted and the measureless, What restricts? Oh, a big key in the restriction is our relationship to sanya sankha, perception, conceits, 
fixed views about self and other, as our discernment, our wisdom, really touches into that ephemeral nature of thought, as we learn to recognize the spaciousness, the boundlessness that surrounds thought, that is the heart's nature, as our thoughts become emptied of all the confusion, delusion that we create around them. Then we align with, merge with the boundless. It is said that our awareness is then restored. The separative aware, the separative consciousness that was a function of delusion falls away and the awareness is restored. So really explore today. Relaxing, making the effort subtle. What happens if when the heart is wider and empty, then these Brahma-Baharas are natural. Just like when Tanisha showed with the gong, that famous simile the Buddha, the Ajahn Chah gave us. That a bell can just look useless, it's just sitting there, got all that wasted space. Just put stuff into it. Got to have an extra clock, this one might break. Another hat, I'm always losing my hat. Cram all this stuff in, and then when something you try to hit, when something hits the bell, it just clunk. But when it's empty, something touches the bell, it resonates. Friendly heart can resonate, bless conditions. An empty, friendly heart then will notice the suffering and resonate, respond to that, and naturally, because of our deep kinship, can, can respond in a way to alleviate that suffering. Karuna. When there's beauty... That's why nature is so incredible for cultivating a boundless state. When there's beauty, we rejoice with it. It's possible, but not very likely. I don't think many of you are out there thinking, God, look at those colored... Who do they think they are, those trees getting all pretty? (laughs) Get our chainsaw to cut all the trees because we don't... They're showing off with their colors. We tend not to do that. The, the barriers of the heart tend to fall away as we rejoice, as we resonate with the beauty, the colors, the space of Mother Nature. And the empty heart that's free from greed, hatred, and delusion can can recognize the deep stillness, the deep, unshakable core. It's able to just, as it is, know, yes, this is how it is. We can rejoice with the beautiful, 
try to help alleviate suffering. But ultimately, whatever happens, we know what arises ceases, and this is how it is. Beings are the owners of their karma. When we practice in this way, beautiful results emerge. Finishing with a quote that we love from Master Hua. All living beings are my family. The universe is my body. All of space is my university. My nature is empty and formless. Kindness, compassion, joy and equanimity are my function. All living beings are my family. The universe is my body. All of space is my university. My nature is empty and formless. Kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity are my function. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.